Abstract. I'm Brangel, and I'm joined by Eric. How's it going? Ah, uh, not too bad. How about yourself? I'm doing all right. So, can you tell me the last time you had a good look at the sky during day, the day? Um, probably like earlier this week or last week walking out to my car. I don't think there is right now, but sometimes I find it really interesting where I can still see the moon in the daylight. Oh, yeah. I can't remember the last time I saw that, though, but uh, occasionally walking back out to my car on lunch. That's sooner than uh, than me. Uh, doing the research for this, I realized that I just don't look up at the sky much anymore. But I'll get into why you might want to later on. So, have you heard of this thing called the Carrington event? I have not. Okay, that's great. Well, let me let me set the scene for you. So, I'll take you back to 1859. People were just going about their day, you know, doing the normal stuff. Astronomers were doing their thing, uh, doing what astronomers do, looking at stars and, you know, cataloging them. Some of them were looking at the sun and tracking what it looks like. They were tracking the sunspots on it. Are you familiar with sunspots? Yes. Okay. Well, uh, there are these little black dots that appear on the sun at different points. Um, I'll get into phys the physics behind it later, but you know, the astronomers were looking at the sun and were like, all right, just drawing it. So you can do this and not go blind because you, there are these filters that block out most of the light coming through if you put it on a telescope. So it's kind of like those solar eclipse glasses that people hmm. have. Are you familiar with those? Yes, I am. Thanks to an episode okay. of Recess. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. I'm guessing you didn't use it during the 2017 eclipse. No, I didn't. I didn't witness it. Oh, you didn't? Oh. No. Well, you know, you have a second chance. In 2024, I think in April, the solar eclipse will be pretty much right on top of us. So you should really take a day off to do that. So buy glasses now so they won't be out of stock. Got it. Buy glasses now, yes. So that's what people were doing. And on August 29th, people saw a bunch of sunspots just forming. Uh, and something really amazing happened. Okay. For some reason, in Australia, you could see the aurora. Now, that's well, not the well, weird part. That's not the weird part? That's not the weird part. The odd bit is people could see it on the northeastern part of the island, which is quite a bit further than seen before. Yeah, that's pretty pretty far from the pole. Actually, let me um let me try to get numbers to this. Let me pull up a map. Cause I know there've been reports that um it's possible to see it in the mitten of Michigan during like the right conditions, which is also pretty far. That's yeah, that's pretty far. So just to get a sense of uh, how close Australia is to the equator, around the part where uh, this uh, these uh, this aurora was seen is about 27 degrees south. So 27 degrees south near the continental U.S. is around middle of Florida. Uh, what? Imagine that it's so far south that you could see it from Florida. Yeah. That's... That's crazy. I'm assuming the edge of Florida, but that's still crazy. Around mid-Florida. Nope, that's completely crazy. That is completely crazy. It must have been amazing for people in Brisbane. Uh, they get to see some aurora without needing to travel anywhere. It's just by, you know, living in Brisbane. By existing, yes. Yeah. Uh, do they think aliens were attacking? Like... You know what? I... I don't doubt it. Actually, I, I'm not sure if they had an idea of aliens or the concept that they're in their minds at that time. Maybe they thought God was speaking to them or something. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. 
Go forth and spread colors. <laughs> Live long and flour flourish? Rainbow? I don't know. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Uh, there was also this observatory that collected magnetic field strength data in Scotland. And when this first aurora, uh, first aurora was seen in Australia, you could see this massive spike in field strength. Oh. The guy who was keeping track of all this thought it was weird, but nothing major really happened to him that he knew of at the time. So he just went on with his life. Machines acting weird, whatever. I, I mean, he he could have thought that, oh, yeah, the, the machine really found something. All right, whatever. It's nothing important, I guess. But then a few days later, on September 1st, two astronomers were also looking at the sun and saw a solar flare, which is just a bit of the sun that's being ejected from the surface in, like, an arc structure. I'm also familiar. Okay. So, solar flare, the arc-like structure, not the move from Dragon Ball. There's a big oh. difference. They could see this flare because the light from the flare travels faster than uh, the matter itself. So, you know, it's kind of like seeing a train coming. Within about 17 hours of this observation, the flares hit the Earth, but nobody on the ground really knew that or what was, uh, what was going on. Everyone except that observatory that saw this massive spike in the field strength again. Oh. But it wasn't like last time. Is, is this the thing where the telegraph lines were, like, so charged they didn't need to be powered to transmit? Yeah, actually, that, that, this hey. is it. This field strength spike was not like last time, where some people saw some a, a nice light show, like, pretty far, um, clo uh, pretty close to the equator. This time, it had disastrous effects. The main thing, as you alluded to, was the destruction of some electronics. Mm -hmm. But since it was 1859... The only thing that was really affected was telegraph lines, some of which blew up and caught fire. I, I believe it. Absolutely believe it. There were other instances where people could send messages without it actually being powered. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's insane. At the time, it was more of a nuisance for people. They, they couldn't really send letters through the phone while, uh, while the phone lines were down. People really didn't know what was going on. They might have thought someone was being careless and blew up the telegraph lines by mistake or something. Right. I remember hearing that people had a huge mistrust of electricity. So um, I can just see people writing it off like, oh, this newfangled thing's broken again. Yeah, thing's broken. Uh, go back to the good old days. Go get my ink quill. A horse will never fail you. So get your letters out that way. People didn't really know what was going on. It was only till much later when all the reports from all around the world were collected. The magnetic fields, measurements, drawn sunspots, flares. And at that point, people realized that it was the sun that caused all this. A bunch of stuff from the sun was spewed on and hit the earth and did something or other. You stop the Mayans from sacrificing to the sun god and this is what happens. Ugh. I mean, I'm not condoning human sacrifice, but look at the parallel. Maybe the, the Mayans were uh, unknowingly protecting us from the Carrington events. Sorry, I had to make that joke. <laughs> it's okay. I'll get into the physics of what happened later, but I, I wanted to get to like a little funnier effect of this too. Mm -hmm. This was all during the gold rush, so there were prospectors in the Rockies, and when the flare hit, the sun hadn't come up, so it was kind of in the night, uh, about to be morning. Okay. But you wouldn't know it because the sky lit up so brightly from the aurora that you could see from the Rockies, that miners got up, thought it was morning, and started doing their morning routine, making breakfast. 
It's like the um, eclipse and the chickens cawing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the moment the eclipse happens, chickens go, all right, let's go back to our coop. It's nighttime. Eclipse is done. Chickens come out and, you know, <laughs> cock-a-doodle-doo. <laughs> the aurora went as far south as Cuba. Uh, uh. Further south than, uh, than the previous one. That's insane. Basically the entire world except for a strip. Yeah, it's, well, no, actually, the aurora mostly happened during the nighttime. I'll get into oh. why a little later. Okay. Um, half of the world, it's like a, like almost a quarter of the world. Oh, I understand what you're saying. Okay. If something like this were to happen today, kiss most of your electronics and power goodbye. It'd, it'd be pretty bad. NASA does keep track of a lot of the coronal mass ejections, which is what this is, in our vicinity. Uh, so if one does come close... We'll know about it in, in advance. Whether anyone will do anything about it, uh, nobody really knows. Yeah, I'm a little worried about that. Would just turning all of my stuff off help protect it? I think so. Yeah. So what I would be most worried about is things like Transformers catching on fire. Yes. Where it, it's, it's a bit harder to turn it off, I, I would assume. I, I don't work in Transformers or anything. But I imagine there isn't just an off switch. Unless there is, maybe there is. Short of, like, shutting down the entire power grid, if I just unplug my electronics from that grid, it should be fine, is what I'm thinking. But what about something um, like my car, that I can't? The battery in there is still still active. Yeah, I don't know about that. I hope that there's something we can do about it, but I don't know. I'm not quite sure how you would uh, conduct that experiment. I guess you just have to do a small EMP, because that's what happens. Just a, basically an EMP goes off. Oh. How do you protect yourself from that? You have a Faraday cage, I suppose. Oh, time to start building. Yeah, I gotta get a um, suit of armor. Con convert the garage into a Faraday cage. Yeah, I'm fine. Oh, oh no, all those crazy people who are like, oh, magnetic uh, rays and stuff like that that, that make Faraday cages. Oops. They might be the ones protected. Oh, all that vindication. Mm. Yeah. Now... Let's get into the physics behind what happened. It's essentially a story of what happens when the sun gets a little angry. <laughs> okay. When I say angry, I just mean that it's more active. Like most of us, the sun has some activity levels uh, and it comes in cycles. Mm -hmm. I like to think the sun's getting a little exhausted, releasing so much energy for a measly wage and has, has a low energy at some point. Mm -hmm. But then he, like, goes on vacation for a bit and takes it easy and now has plenty of energy to face the day and, you know, shine. Please tell me you, you did all of that just to make that joke. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> okay, good, good. But anthropomorphizing the sun aside, its activity does come in cycles of about 11 years or so. So it's, if its maxima is now, then its maxima will, be, will come again in about 11. Mm -hmm. But what does a solar maximum really mean? Well, if you were to use some solar viewing glasses like you would for the eclipse, you'd see the sun has a, has a few black dots on it, which are the sunspots that we talked about. And the more of them you see, the more active the sun is. Would I need to also look through a telescope? Probably. Okay. Uh, I, I don't think it's... Vi I guess when I used mine, I don't think I could see any sunspots. I mean, that's re really, really far away, so, I mean, makes sense. Yeah, it, it, I'd suspect either a binoculars or a telescope. Oh, binoculars. That's a good idea. Yeah. 
Also, if you want to see some planets, uh, there are some binoculars that can see planets. So you don't necessarily need a telescope. It's just hard to, you know, stabilize. I'm guessing Mercury, but uh, what else can you see? Venus? Jupiter, probably. With just binoculars? Jupiter and Venus. Wow. Yeah. It's neat. So to figure out why the sunspots around are around, we need to think of the sun's magnetic field. So the sun is just a bunch of plasma that's swirling around, and this swir swirling motion can make strong magnetic fields, and very strong ones, uh, since there's just so much plasma going around. It's almost unfathomably large, so yeah, makes sense. Yeah, yeah. If you were to go near the surface and measure these fields, it would be crazy and chaotic. It looks nothing like the Earth's magnetic field. The sun yeah. has north and south poles of a field coming out of the sunspot. So you would see the north end, like of a magnet, going out of one sunspot, going into another. So these spots would come in pairs. That is so cool. It's really neat. But it's like, oh my god, that, it's a crazy picture. Let me, let me get you a picture. Okay. So it might look something like this. This is a, a simulation, obviously. Oh. It reminds me of those little... Um plasma things in like novelty stores that you go up to and you touch and it like goes the light goes to your fingertips oh right the those little balls with the electricity thing yeah okay. the, the, the different um sunspots magnetically joined to each other looks like the different points that like are attracted to your fingers oh yeah okay i can see that so what are these larger fields the the green and purple oh those are just the fields that uh, they, they just go outside the sun these are all magnetic fields, but then some of them uh, loop around into sunspots and out of them. Yeah, I'm seeing that. While the other ones uh, en encompass basically the solar system. Encompass the solar system? Yeah. Just like how the Earth's magnetic field has a bit of, uh, goes outward a yes. bit, and it has some reach, the, the sun's magnetic field also has a bigger reach. So it... Oh! It kind of protects us from other interplanetary rays irradiation just like ours protects us yeah in a that's way. really cool yeah it is so there's a lot of these chaotic magnetic fields that go around in the sun and they're represented by the number of sunspots the more sunspots you see more activity more of these magnetic fields now if these fields were to be bent out of shape enough they can combine into bigger ones so uh these smaller ones go to bigger ones and that releases a lot of energy Mm -hmm. uh, I'm simplifying this quite a bit because not everyone really needs to know the, the, the specifics behind this. Just know that combining release energy, and if, if this were done on the sun, then this would cause a bunch of the material from the surface of the sun to be ejected into space. And the Earth, if you didn't know, is in space, so it has a possibility <laughs> of hitting us. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. I just got the visual image of our solar system with the You Are Here sign next to Earth. <laughs> I mean, you're correct. You're absolutely correct. <laughs> Earth, space, literally everything else. So if it does hit the Earth, then these bits of the sun would interact with the Earth's magnetic field and, and distort it. Would that look similar to the sunspot distortion of magnetic fields that um, you just shared with me? No, I will share you a video soon. Okay. Not yet. So again, if these distortions are strong enough that hit the Earth's magnetic field, they'll do the same thing that the magnetic fields on the sun did when they combined. Mm. Uh, if these two fields combine, then they release energy again. 
but instead of throwing water and people out in his face, they'll they usually just make aurora. And if it's strong enough, it'll have similar events, uh, similar effects to the Carrington event that I just described earlier. That makes much more sense about how they interact than what I was thinking. Generally, what we would notice is a disruption in communication uh, if this were to happen today, just because the electromagnetic pulse that comes out. One of the more frightening effects is that on transformers. So that's the thing that turns the power from the power plant to something that you can take at people's homes. Those can get, get fried pretty easily and take a long time, long time to fix. For, for anyone who might not know, can you explain what an EMP actually is? So that's an electromagnetic pulse. It's essentially something that releases a lot of electromagnetic energy. It's not necessarily radiation that's harmful to us, but it's probably going to be radiation that's harmful to electronics. So you shouldn't be a, a worry and fear thinking that, oh, I'm going to get cancer from these EM pulses from the sun. But it'll have bad effects on you know, the things we use to live. Now, I want to share with you a video of the effects of what happens when a Carrington-level event hits the Earth. This is already looking crazy from the preview. Okay, oh! It looks like Earth went Super Saiyan. Oh, man. Well, let's just wait a bit. Looks like it's trying to go back to normal. Oh, my God! Yeah. Oh! Please put this video on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I will. I'll put the link to the video and to the picture that I showed Eric in our Twitter. So follow us at More Abstract to get more of that. That's what happens to the Earth's magnetic field in a Carrington level event. Most of the coronal mass ejections that we feel is not very strong, and they cause a little aurora. I'm I'm glad the the magnetic field like recovered. Yeah, yeah, it, it recovers. Uh, this, uh, this whole solar wind, uh, or the coronal mass ejection, it, it doesn't last forever. It's only for a bit. I guess there are a few things I want to bring up. Mm -hmm. One is... I just forgot it. Oh. <laughs> uh, one thing that, that I want to bring up is just how fast the flare was moving. One of the astronomers that drew the flare uh, during, uh, was Richard Carrington. Not sure if you've heard the name. He, he could have been going to bed like, man, the sun was acting really weird in the morning. Oh, well. And then a boom and a fire in the distance and wondering what's going on. These ejections don't typically move that fast. Usually it takes a few days for them to reach us. But the first flare that happened a few days prior, I guess, sped up the subsequent one. The Earth just got the one-two punch and then the second one was much faster. No, that, that makes sense because the magnetic field would have already been recovering from the first one. And then just got blasted by the second. Uh, I, I don't know if that's the reason why. The recovery of time might be less than the few days it takes for the second one to come. I think it was just because the second one made way for the... the uh, or the first one made way for the second one. Just pushing all the uh, solar wind particles out of the way. Oh, okay. I get what you're saying. I'm looking at the wrong part of the equation. No, but that, that, was, a, that was a good um, uh, observation. Another thing to note, in 2012, we were really close to getting another Carrington-level event. How, how close? By, if our orbit was deviated by nine days, we would have gotten a Carrington-level event. Wasn't there one of those uh, doomsday people saying the world was supposed to end in 2012? 
Oh my god, it was... I don't think this was in December. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they almost had it. Yeah, almost had it. The Mayans, you know, they stopped sacrificing. Yeah. Think of all that vindication. Who? <laughs> yeah. Imagine being Mayan nowadays and being like, <laughs> you guys shouldn't have stopped us. Seriously. We told you. We warned you. <laughs> okay, that's all I have for you, Eric. So what did you think? I'm a little scared of electromagnetism. Not in uh, I'm going to get cancer way, but oh my god, the scale. Yeah, the sun is pretty scary. I'd say that's about the biggest thing to be scared of. Don't go outside, kids. You yeah. <laughs> if you like this episode, please consider subscribing and leaving a review. Tell us what you think about it and tell a friend about it. And we have some supplementary contact, uh, supplementary material on Twitter, at moreabstract. Please. I'll post the video and the picture up there. Please watch that. Oh my god, it gets intense. Yeah, <laughs> it gets intense. Tell me what you think. And you can find more episodes wherever you get podcasts. <laughs>